You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. You're doing it wrong. Let's edit that, Let's edit that out. Oh, that's I'm not, not. editing that. <laughs> we'll edit that part out. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. fishing here. I think uh, you're do a lot of editing. <laughs> well, I think we got our cold open then. <laughs> you're like, who art Ed? Who art Ed? Mr. Wood art Ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's a great start. Welcome. In every episode, we are going to look at art in three parts. In situ, where we're going to look at the context in which it was created. In gallery, where we're going to have a discussion closely examining one specific masterpiece. And finally, in studio, where we will share our takeaways. Today, I'm here with David Pittman talking about African masks. Hey, Kyle. I'm really glad to be here today. I can't wait to talk about this. We're looking at the Mukenga mask, which is a helmet mask created by the Kuba people of Central Africa. And this specific piece is on display at the Art Institute of Chicago, showing a little bit of our hometown bias. Hopefully, students listening to this will uh, take time to go out and look at the work in person at the Art Institute of Chicago, one of the greatest collections of art right in our own backyard. This piece is listed as late 19th through mid 20th century. The dates they give are 1875 through 1950 and the medium or I guess I should say the media listed would be wood glass beads cowrie shells feathers raffia fur fabric thread monkey hair and bells so quite a bit went into this piece now for our in c2 segment it just gives us some context it's about the artist and where this came from where this all came from today for our first segment we're going to start talking a little bit about African masks generally. The earliest masks were created like before the Paleolithic era. Africa is a large continent, many countries, tribes, people. Most of the concepts behind these masks and approaches are generally true, but like we no statement about the beliefs of how those masks were used are could possibly be true of all people in all cultures that have made masks. So this is going to be full of generalizations that are mostly correct. Um, but of course, there are individual cases that would be different. Yeah, and that's what I find so fascinating about them is that, you know, we, we don't have the background that we have in a lot of our Western art. And we're looking at and we're trying to make generalizations from them. Um, even more than we, we do with a, a, a piece of art that we might see that we, we know the entire context around. 
Well, and I always find it interesting because, like, in Western art history, the individual who made the piece was so important, but we don't know the names of a lot of the artists that created these these masks. So we talk about it's an African mask, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and generally, like, we might get more specific in terms of what tribe it came from, what part of Africa it came from, what time period it came from. And while the mask maker in most tribes would be sort of a high position of status, you know, we don't know a lot of their names. A lot of them are sort of lost to history. And I think that's another thing that it baffles me or, or just finds I find interesting is what happens uh, when you're not taking yourself uh, you're stripping yourself of that ego of I'm going to be an artist and you are specifically just focusing on a craft. I'm a mask maker. I do this for my tribe. I do this for my people. And you're not thinking I'm part of this art culture. I'm part of this community of artists and that I want to eventually be, you know, hanging on a wall or I want to, you know, they, they, they are stripped of that. And it's just, I'm making this piece. And it really begs the question sort of, of what is art? Like mm. I always think about, you know, that difference between art and artifact because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I remember from that sort of freshman art history was doing a comparative analysis of how the work is viewed um, because we saw essentially very close to the same pieces of like African masks mm-hmm. at the Art Institute and at the Field Museum, sort of our, yeah. our natural history museum. Just down the road, yeah. Um, just down the road. But what was interesting was in the Field Museum, it's sort of arranged to give you that sense in situ of the context. So mm-hmm. it's the mask with other things that would go along with the rituals. Because generally speaking, these masks were created not as ornamental not as a decoration for the wall, but to be worn as a part of a ritual. And part of the reason that mask makers had that sort of high status position in their tribe was because the mask maker and the person who wore the mask, they were in some ways seen as almost like a medium. They were mm-hmm. they were um, connected with both the tribe and the spirit world. And in wearing the masks, often the person who was wearing the mask during the ritual was thought to be taking taking on the spirit of uh, whatever the mask represented. Sometimes the mask would represent the ancestors or mythical heroes or animals or even abstract concepts like virtues, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, courage and strength and things like that. Yeah, I doubt that Picasso even would, would take a, uh, in his blue period, would take a blue paint and said, this is my virtuous blue and I'm using this to invoke the spirit of said mystic or spiritual being he was just trying to give a, a blue hue well a blue hue <laughs> and 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 to make it sad yeah I mean, picasso wasn't was a lot of things he wasn't subtle right you know <laughs> very true um and it is funny that you know our african mask episode would would bring in picasso because he does have his african influenced period um oh, yeah. and it is i think the generous take on it is the African influenced period because a lot of people do, you know, say he just was shamelessly ripping off African artists. And, you know, it's always that fine line with artists between inspiration and appropriation. Um, Picasso himself said, good artists copy, great artists steal. And in that he was talking (laughs) about how the way I like to read that statement is a great artist doesn't merely copy what someone else has done, but they put their own fresh spin on it to make it their own. Yeah. 
um, because we're all taking in data from all around us. And while Picasso is often criticized for that sort of cultural appropriation, I think it's also worth noting he was appreciating the non-Western art at a time when other people weren't. These artists are creating something abstract and something innovative and something that, you know, Western painters at that time were considering to be avant-garde. Well, and that's interesting, too, when you look at the actual piece is, are you allowing the piece to come into what you already have preconceived as notions of art? Are you, are you putting blocks? Are you letting that culture into to your being and your sense and your knowledge as you're looking at a piece? Or are you judging that piece with some biases that you already have, or this is how art is supposed to be. It's going to move you, and you're going to say, okay, this is another style, something I haven't thought of before. And if you just reject it, then that's actually the greater crime, yeah. is to say, I'm not going to allow this into my life. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I absolutely love the point that you're making, and I think that's a good sort of point to end on, because when I think of African art in general, a couple of the things that I hear you saying are you know, sort of taking in that spirit. And a lot of this is sort of tied to ideas of spirits, of abstract concepts, and the wearer taking on those those attributes mm -hmm. as a part of ritual. You talked about, you know, something we haven't seen before. One of the primary differences I saw between a lot of traditional Western art history and non-Western art history is... Western painters and artists were trying to capture the world around them as they see and experience it. And non-Western artists were more focused on what they can't see and experience oh, in the wow. world around yeah. them. You know, like if I want to see a tiger, I'll go look at a tiger. I don't need a mm -hmm. painting of it. Mm -hmm. But if I want the essence of that tiger and the strength and the power that it, it represents, I need this mask. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now for our in-gallery segment, we're going to have a discussion looking more carefully at one piece. A couple things that stand out to me are the interesting textures, because we see the difference between these feathers and the raffia and the, the shells, and we see patterns that are, that are very, very meticulously applied to this. I also can't not mention the symmetry to the design. I, it, I find it so satisfying to see that nice mm. symmetrical design mm -hmm. within the mask. Like it is so visually pleasing to me and it feels, it feels very calming to me to see that, that symmetry that is so typical of the form. But 
Yeah, my first instinct is always I look at that and then I start thinking about other connections. Mm-hmm. I always start to think about like what else is happening because it's not it's not created in a vacuum. But like this specific piece, yeah. you know, I think it was sort of one-way communication in terms of other artists and cultures and what's happening. Like Picasso was looking at African masks, but African artists weren't looking at Picasso. The influence was happening in one direction. Yeah, I'm drawn into the materials and the symmetry, as you said first, but also this, even like the juxtaposition of color, that red um, feather, uh, uh, a yeah, collection yeah, of feathers, ball of feathers. And I, ball of feathers I, and I'm so just drawn, that makes me beg questions of the actual culture. Like, is that is that a face um, in, in the front? Is that a, a face of a, of a of an animal spirit? Yeah, I mean, it is very common to see facial structures. Um, a lot of it is sort of simplified shapes to represent facial features, like the eyes and things like that. We see a lot of natural elements in here, and I, I would agree that pop of feathers really stands out because they are that bright shock of red contrasted by what is almost all earth tones and a little bit of like blue and white in there too, but it's mostly like it's mostly darker, cooler to neutral tones. And as we look at this, we see a lot of things that are sort of s- symbols of status. This to me feels like this is layering status object upon status object upon status object. Mm-hmm. We see those feathers. We see all of those shells very carefully and meticulously arranged. Um, it's obviously handmade and very, very artistically crafted. It is all signifiers of status within, within the tribe and within the community and within the culture. And you don't place this on, on just anybody's head. You know, you, you once, this, whoever's, whoever dons this helmet mask, all of the, you can see that all of the meticulous work and the craftsmanship then transfers to that person. This was um, part of a costume to be worn at funerals of title holders in the northern part of the Kuba Kingdom, Hmm. um, which is sort of Central Africa, like the Congo area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you're right in thinking about, like, for whom is this privilege of the mask? Because Mm -hmm. with all of these materials going into it and all the labor going into it, it's not something that would be casually created or casually worn. Yeah, and I think even even that, like the the variety of materials used. Yeah, like it's not just um, like I've seen I've seen other ones. It's it's a wood sculpture or with a little with like bit of a, like some pigment, some paint, or some something shell like that. maybe like that. But, but this is such a variety. You've got a lot of stuff in mm-hmm. there, and a lot of stuff that's not easy to come by, and so that I think. It sort of imbues upon it like a little bit of added value is like just the materials that go into it and what those signify. And the longer I look at it, like my eye doesn't know where to focus. Like I, I of course I was saying I was drawn in by those red feathers hanging, but then I'm also drawn into what to me like, again pierces a face. But then I also start to follow the shells and the designs in in. Um... Yeah, at the top of the arc, there's um, it's. It's almost like a chevron type of pattern, that zigzag line. Um, and, you know, the human eye naturally follows lines. And if we look at this, it's almost like a wedge that points down towards the face. Mm-hmm. I personally always go towards facial structures, but also there's that pop of 
the bright red feathers, which creates contrast. And when you have one thing that, that is not like the others, obviously, that is that first thing that's going to draw your attention. Mm-hmm. Especially warmer colors tend to, to draw our attention uh, faster. We see those bright, warm colors like yellows and reds before we see the cooler and the darker colors. Let's wrap up our gallery talk with one question I always like to ask people is, if you could take this out of the Art Institute, where should this go? I mean, that's that's a loaded question because it is always just, a loaded question. I mean, the question. easy answer, right, is like a museum. Not give um, it back to the people who created right, it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually my my next my next thought is you know um, a cultural center, um, yeah. somewhere you know where it's being reclaimed and it's it's not just you know given some of the history of how these pieces were claimed. I would want you know their input to know yeah. where, where that goes. But but to me, I see it as a celebration of culture and a celebration of um, legacy and history within that culture. I'm going to set aside the idea of being able to reappropriate it and give it back mm-hmm. to, to the original people. I feel like this should be out somewhere where it can be interacted with. Hmm. You know, like I feel like art that is also functional and not just aesthetic it should be used as its original function or at least mm-hmm. made available for people to interact with. And so I feel like, I feel like it should be out at a funeral, hmm. you know, it should be at a funeral home. That's where it should be. Just, Oh, God. everybody should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just, nah. you know, how do you preserve? I, and I, I, I love the, the, the idea behind that. And then you come into the preservation and how yeah. do you make sure that it's preserved, but then its original intention was... I also think, though, like, you know, sometimes sometimes I feel like we get so focused on preservation, not everything has to be preserved. Mm. Sometimes there's something nice about, you know, the wear and tear, and the that like the fact that something doesn't last forever, that it is a little bit ephemeral, that it, it's, it's used to its fullest... And then it's replaced and moved on. Like, that's kind of just the nature of things. It returns to the abstraction you know? it came from. Yeah, I mean, why do we have to try to preserve it? I, I feel like I would rather have something that is used to its fullest for 10 years than, you know, put behind glass and, you know, just looked at for 100. Hmm. And now for our in-studio segment. In-studio Think segment. about what strategies are working. Take it. Good make it your own. Copy. Great artists. Steal. Just go ahead. Steal this art. Make it your own. These are the takeaways. This is what you can apply to your own work. Do you want to go first or shall I? You know, I, I, I can. Um, but I think, I think using a variety of mediums, I, I get stuck into one medium yeah. and then thinking about how meticulous I'm being with my work because that elevates my work, you know, and yeah. that's something I can use. Like, what am I doing this work for and how do I elevate it by pouring in meticulous detail? Yeah. And I think on that note, like this is a mixed media piece. The artist is creating essentially an assemblage of, um, you know, feathers and shells and beads and raffia. But, you know, the materials you select matter right. because the materials you choose to apply to your work send a signal about that work. I don't always agree with it, but you know, some people do perceive a hierarchy of media within within the arts and mm-hmm. using cert, like carefully selecting 
high quality materials shows your audience that this is a piece of great importance and care goes into it. Yeah. Um, another thing that you know I'm struck by is just how visually pleasing symmetry within a composition can be. Very often, I myself tend towards the asymmetrical composition, a little bit off balance using that rule of thirds, things a third of the way from the edge and stuff like that, off center to create a more active composition. But it is so visually pleasing and just satisfying and sort of soothing and calming when you see something that is symmetrical, the same on one side as it is on the other. And that's when I look at this piece. I see this. I see amazing symmetry, but I, it doesn't. It doesn't sacrifice um, variety. You know, yes. there is so much going on. There's so much activity, and there's so many differing patterns and differing approaches. Yet it is lying within symmetry. Yeah. And so I don't and have to feel like symmetry uh, is is limiting. It actually can be freeing, but in a way. Yeah, and I just, as the art teacher, have to pull in, when you talk about that difference and that variety, you know, contrast is one of the principles of design, and contrast is a word for the difference between things. We see different colors, we see different textures. Contrast can be created in a lot of different ways. Most people immediately think of light and dark for contrast, but here we see tremendous contrast through the materials that are used, through the textures, through the colors, through the patterns. And then the symmetry unifying all of it. Yes. You know, and, that, and that's something I think that I could, I could use in my own art is I can, I can create great contrast even within the color. You have that pop of red. But then, you know, I can also unify it through because symmetry. it Yeah. And I'm going to let you have the final word there because that unity is another principle of design and unity is having all of these pieces work together. All of these different contrasting patterns and materials, they feel like all parts to one whole because they all make up an abstracted but still recognizable facial structure and because it's basically natural materials. There is that unifying element even though they are different materials. I never know how to end these things. Podcast done. Podcast done.